Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. This is Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Teresa MacArthur, Senior Vice President of Clinical Services at Cecilia Health. She's here to talk about inequity in chronic care leading to higher healthcare costs for people of color and how virtual specialty care can promote health equity. Thank you for speaking with me today, Teresa. Nice to meet you. Pleasure to be here. All right, let's get started. Um, please talk about your background and your work at Cecilia Health. Wonderful. Um, so as a clinician, I'm a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. Um, I personally have about 28 years of experience supporting individuals across a variety of um, chronic disease states and just really educating, supporting, um, caring for, and um, really just, just guiding uh, as they manage, learn how to manage their chronic diseases. Um, at Cecilia, um, as you mentioned, I'm over our clinical services organization, and I manage um, a large group of amazing clinicians who work with individuals each and every day, just really navigating the many challenges that exist across managing, whether it be cardiovascular disease, um, obesity, diabetes, um, kidney disease, respiratory disease, and you can go on and on that, you know, there's so many challenges from a from a cost perspective and just a psychosocial perspective and just the overwhelming burden of your day-to-day -day life trying to manage a chronic disease. And so that's what we do here at Cecilia is really um, work with individuals to empower them to be able to do this on their own and make it be as easy as possible. Um, and we're there for them. So uh, excited to talk more about that. Can you, can you give an overview of the chronic disease disparity landscape? Definitely. So in our experience, with we, we've been working with individuals um, managing chronic disease states for many years here at Cecilia, and I think uh, one of the struggles that we see specifically across some of our underserved populations, um, we're seeing a lot of challenges around access to care, um, a lack of support and education, a lack of understanding um, health literacy uh, of their of their chronic disease and just a lack of overall understanding of what their disease state even is. I don't think that they have those conversations um, with a provider or a care um, care management uh, entity of any kind. And, and so when we reach out and connect with individuals, there's never been a conversation. There's never been support. And they don't even understand, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? And it's very overwhelming. And so I think as a result, um, they don't they don't access or seek help because they don't they don't know where to go. And sometimes it's not even an option or offered to them. And so I think from what we see 
um, specifically with Black Americans in particular, we're seeing that chronic diseases that typically occur more later in life in other populations, we're seeing they're dealing with this at a younger age. And I think that's what is really contributing to the increased cost and the challenges later on with complications from these chronic diseases, because we're seeing that with these populations um, and in research that, you know, blood pressure, high blood pressure is surfacing at a younger age, obesity, diabetes. And what happens is as they're as they're lacking the opportunity to understand how to manage these, they're going years with these chronic diseases not managed well, and that's leading to complications, which is leading to a poor quality of life and added cost. Um, so I, I think that's really what I'm seeing is one of the, uh, the core challenges. Yeah, there's also a rise in colorectal cancer um, uh, in the younger populations as well. You mentioned that four in five Black American women and around one in five children have the highest rates of overweight and obesity compared to other groups. In your experience, why is this happening? So I think there's multiple factors that contribute to this. I think, um, as one thing I mentioned, just a lack of access to any education. Um, to even understand what does it mean to eat healthy? Um, we're, you know, we're seeing a great deal, especially now of eating on a budget and trying to understand, you know, I have, I have this much money to buy groceries this week and I need to make sure it's going to go as far as possible and healthy food items are just too expensive. So there's a lack of understanding of how do we make that work? What's the best choices we can make? Um, I think a lack of activity or access to places for physical activity is a big, is a big challenge. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of things around preventative health. Um, I'm seeing a decline in the, the access to education and discussion in the schools and just in the communities around prevention, preventative health. And that's really more tied to, you know, healthy eating and physical activity. And um, how can we, you know, challenge those challenges around safety, safe places that we can be active. I don't, I don't think those are what they used to be, you know, and so managing that um, across, uh, across women and, and children in particular. But um, I think that's the biggest piece is obviously, especially with women, they're, they're primarily doing the food preparation and they're trying to do the best they can, but access to healthy food choices um, is a challenge and transportation, you know, transportation to get to doctor appointments and well visits. I think that's, that's a big challenge as well as we're not seeing, they're not seeing just that access to primary care, which is where some of these conversations really should be, should be happening. The bulk of those conversations. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how much more is healthcare costing chronically ill people of color um, than other groups? And, and why is it costing more? Mm -hmm. And what is costing them more specifically? So I think one of the things I mentioned before was we're seeing complications tied to some of these issues at a younger age um, surfacing earlier. So medications, you know, medications are um, being prescribed at a younger age to, to try to control blood pressure. Um, so medication costs is, is significant. Um, I think that, you know, just... Um, because of dealing with some of these chronic diseases at a younger age, 
we're seeing a greater loss of work um, from these individuals. So obviously, if they're dealing with high blood pressure or, like you mentioned, um, cancer or diabetes, there's days where they just, they can't go to work. And so there's a loss of income um, for them on their end. But I think from a healthcare perspective, by the time that they do go to the doctor when something's wrong, there's already complications. There's already medications that have to be prescribed. Whereas if we could intervene earlier, we might be able to avoid some of the costs tied to that. Um, if we could do more prevention and really start to make those lifestyle changes earlier. Do you think any of this has to do with um, lack of insurance coverage? I was just reading yes. uh, recently that, um, I, I can't remember the name of the judge, but um, that he struck down part of the uh, Affordable Care Act um, where preventive care is covered by insurance. I imagine mm -hmm. this is gonna aggravate the situation for a lot of chronically ill um, people if they can't get you know, as far as them being further along in their disease state by the time they get to the doctor. Agree, 100%. I think insurance, um, the plan in and of itself, and even just the ability to have a, um, a insurance plan, like you said, that covers preventative care is, is lacking. Uh, that's definitely a big issue. I think there's a lack of providers in many areas, especially rural areas. So just having the you know, the inability to even find a provider to access uh, is a challenge in many, many areas. Uh, the time that providers can even spend with individuals now is, is so much less. And so a lot of times those conversations are never even being had in the visit. Um, and, and that's, I think that's a big issue as well as transportation and more reliance on community-based resources, which may not always again be available in a lot of the areas that we find some of our underserved populations reside in. So how would virtual care promote health equity? So I've been so excited to see the increase in virtual care and it doesn't come without challenges, <laughs> definitely. But you know we've done virtual care here at Cecilia for years and it's more embraced now than ever. And I, I'm very excited about that. But I think what virtual care enables um, it enables you to reach individuals at a time that's convenient for them. And when you think about wanting to involve children, we want them to understand and learn at a young age the importance of being active, um, you know, how to cook healthy. And the, uh, what I love about virtual care is we can connect in an evening or a Saturday and we can get grandma and we can get mom and we can get dad and we can get the children. So I think virtual care enables that caregiver, that whole family unit. Um, to be able to come together. It also allows access um, in the home to be able to not have to travel anywhere, but to be able to connect with, with a clinician. And it can be an audio. It, can, it doesn't have to be video. If that's not feasible, um, it can be audio, but be able to you know, say, all right, let's go to your kitchen. Let's pull out your favorite food in your pantry and let's look at that label together and let's talk about that. So I think the ability to reach someone at a time that's convenient in their own environment where they're comfortable and be able to um, focus on what's most important to them. I think too often we go and we have to ask these 20 questions. That's just part of the requirement in this visit. 
and we don't ever focus on what's important to them. And it also allows us to, to address, you know, social determinants of health. A lot of times that's not coming up in conversation in a clinic setting, but when you're connecting with someone in their home, those conversations, once you kind of connect and get to know each other, those challenges and those barriers start to become evident. So walk me through the, the visit, if you don't mind. Um, for example, when I take my, um, my daughter to the doctor, they provide, with each um, visit, they provide a social determinants of health form, a questionnaire that I fill out before I take her into the doctor. Do you guys do that? Do you have that um, for the patient to do before you start the visit, or do you do that with them during the visit? Both. So I think it depends on, on the program. Um, typically, we like to incorporate those types of questions uh, in the visit. And sometimes it's, it's not appropriate to ask that right off the bat. So those are very personal questions. And when you, you know to ask someone right up front, um, do you have trouble um, you know, accessing and obtaining food to feed your family? Sometimes people are uncomfortable admitting that right off the bat, or, you know, do you feel unsafe in your home or do you have trouble getting transportation? Those questions are, there's tricky. oftentimes hesitate. Yeah, they are tricky. And I think a key piece to that is it's one thing to ask the questions and obtain an answer and you find there's a challenge there, but if you don't also have a resource or an ability to, to help them with that barrier, you're doing a very a, a disservice to that individual. So I think one of the things that we do that we feel very strongly about is when it's part of the conversation and it's a good time for that conversation, we've met, they know who I am, they know I'm here for them personally and what's important to them. That's on the forefront of our, of our visit. Um, we are going to talk about those issues because they do influence getting to the doctor, eating healthy, the ability to even um, be active, all of those things and take care of themselves. So when we do uncover those barriers, what are some resources in your community that we could connect you with? Um, do you not have a provider? Let's talk through that. Uh, why is that? Transportation, let's talk through that. So that's all kind of woven into the conversation once that trust is there. So obviously this is staged out over not just one, mm -hmm. one virtual visit, but several virtual visits then. Correct. And, and I think it needs to be um, driven by the individual. So if I come to the table and I say, you know, we should be meeting every week because I have a lot I need to teach you. If that's really a little bit overwhelming or that's too much for that individual, I need, you know, we need to do it at the pace and the frequency that works for them. And I think a lot of times what we find is there's a little resistant on the front end, um, possibly hesitation around judgment um, this isn't going to work. This is too much. You're just going to tell me 50 things I need to do. And it's just too much on my plate. I think we find that hesitation on the front end. And then once that relationship starts moving, we do meet more often. Um, but the goal really is to empower and educate and provide the tool so that these individuals can do this on their own, because we are only there a short time. Uh, you know, we're not going to be there for years. What do you do um, for, for labs, say, for example, if you need to follow up with, let's say, blood work or, or mm -hmm. some other sort of diagnostic? Yeah, so great question. So we can either reach out to their provider and we can obtain labs if they've been done recently, uh, lab history. 
if they really haven't done labs for quite some time. Um, we, again, work with their provider, but it goes back to the why. So if somebody doesn't understand the importance of actually completing that lab work, um, they're not going to do it. You know, they need to understand uh, what labs are important to understand, um, why all those important, and when was the last time you had those done, and reach out to your provider. So we communicate on with the provider if you need be on behalf of the member, um, or we educate the member to go back and and um, reach out to their provider to have those done. Well, what if they don't have a provider? I mean, I'm sure you mm -hmm. found cases where um, this this um, patient is late into um, whatever disease state they're in and they don't, they have a provider. I know you talked earlier about rural areas um, mm -hmm. having a, a dearth of, of providers available, lack of providers. Um, wh what do you do with those patients? How do you get them set up? Definitely. So we'll find out obviously where they're located and try to get an idea of what's available to them within a reasonable radius that they could go to. That might be a community care clinic, it might be a health department, it might be um, a provider, you know, a family practice provider that they didn't know existed, this would be a great place for you to go. So we try to definitely, um, we won't, you know, we can only do so much. I mean, we can equip them with, with options for a provider and the importance of getting a provider. Uh, obviously, we want to look at do they have insurance? Um, what is their health plan? We want to make sure we're not routing them somewhere that they, you know, can't even afford to go to. So, um, so that's part of that conversation. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A number of these chronic disease states start with obesity. What's your mm -hmm. professional opinion of semaglutide, that, that <laughs> classic drug, like Ozempic or Wegovy? Definitely. So don't these me medications are amazing. I mean, the clinical outcomes from these medications are, you can't argue, they're, they're very strong. Um, but on the flip side, these are expensive. You know, they're very costly medications. And can everybody afford even the copay? No. No, they can't. So I think where we need to do a better job is sometimes we're so reliant on these medications that we don't think about, you know, can they take these lifelong? Probably not. I mean, they're so costly. We need to do a better job of first trying to incorporate what is it, what can we do from a lifestyle perspective and educate them small changes? Let's just work on some small changes and let's try that first. And then if we get to a point to where we need to consider some of these medications, um, then we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But we're not doing enough uh, to, you know, really put forth some of that effort to making the changes that we can 
uh, from a eating and um, nutrition and activity standpoint first. Um, a lot of times when we reach individuals, they have this prescription, they took it at the doctor, the prescription, like, okay, and they went to the pharmacy and found out the cost. Well, I, I can't, I can't afford this. What do I do now? Um, and so we, you know, we have to realize that they aren't going to be able to take that medication. So let's spend some time, figure out how, how we can work together to help you lose weight. And, you know, weight loss, um, can be a, a lifelong struggle and patients often backslide, right? After reaching their weight goals. So yeah. how does uh, Cecilia Health virtual care square with that reality? How do you catch those falling patients? Definitely. So first of all, we want to prepare individuals that it's gonna happen. So you might find you make, you make changes on the front end and you're seeing, you're seeing weight loss, it's positive, it's going well, but just the way that, that our bodies work, you will plateau. You are going to hit a point where things are not going to be happening at the rate you're seeing now, and you're going to hit struggles and bumps in the road. How do we work through those? So we really want to prepare them ahead of time for strategies and ways that they can make changes if that happens, um, maybe we need to change the calorie level we were eating at. Maybe we need to kind of change up our activity regimen, but not to be discouraged because even if you hit a bump in the road or a plateau, that doesn't mean that you're, you're failing and that things are not gonna continue to be positive. I think too often we're very focused on the number on the scale. We need to be more focused on how are we taking care of our health as a whole? And yes, weight is a piece of that, but let's focus on being healthy and not so much the number on the scale. And that will come, you know, that will come as we focus more on doing what we can in small steps at a time um, to live a healthier lifestyle. Now, what is the, um, can you talk about the impact that Cecilia's virtual health specialty care has on your patient population? So yeah, so across of our programs, what we're seeing is a significant improvement in medication adherence, which just that in and of itself. So 50% of individuals have not even initiated a prescribed medication. Um, and so when we connect with individuals, we find out that, oh, I only take my blood pressure medication if I don't feel well. Or, you know, I, I think my blood sugars are doing great, so I only take it if I have a high blood sugar. Or financially, I need to spread it out. I need to take it every other day instead of every day because I can't afford um, the full prescription. So you start to find out a lot of barriers around medication adherence. And I think being able to work with individuals to improve that is something we're very, we do very well at Cecilia. Um, and that in and of itself is going to help improve outcomes such as A1C reduction. We'll see an average at least of 1% A1C reduction with individuals of an A1C 8% or higher um, through our programs. Uh, weight, weight loss as part of our cardiovascular, obviously obesity programs, but diabetes programs as well. Um, we're always focusing on you know, helping with weight management. Um, as well um, across uh, our populations. How quickly can patients get appointments? And how do you identify which patients um, to target? Mm -hmm. Great question. So one of the wonderful aspects of remote or virtual care is 
you, you can scale, you can do so many more appointments in a day. And as I mentioned, we do evenings and Saturdays and it's just, it's so much um, more feasible to have more opportunities, you know, to get an appointment or to meet with a clinician. Um, when we oftentimes when we meet with employer groups or health plans, um, there is a priority based on say acuity level. So if you have someone that has a higher a hemoglobin A1C, obviously that's somebody that is at you know higher risk. And so we really want to prioritize them versus somebody that is not on medication, already has an A1C say of 6.8. And they really want to learn more about how to eat healthy. So sometimes it's prioritized more by acuity or you know um, labs that have been done, A1Cs, uh, BMI. So if it's a weight management program, those that have a higher BMI or in the B obesity with a comorbidity already dealing with diabetes, you know those are probably going to be um, considered higher priority uh, members to to work with. So they're already members of Cecilia Health, and then you just identify them by the data that you have on them in terms of their risk factors. When we're working with, say, health systems or health plans or employer groups, they will provide a list to us based on what, what they decide is going to be um, more of a this is the population we want you to work with. And wow. then to your point, any data that we would have to help us understand who's high risk and it might not be that we reached out to them sooner. It might be that they don't need as comprehensive or as high touch of a program, right. if that makes sense, versus reaching out to them later on, per se. Right, right. Well, I think this is great what you guys are doing, reaching patients that otherwise don't have access, steady access um, to reliable care. You guys are making a difference. Well, it's, it's exciting and, and it's, you know, to be able to reach someone who has never had the opportunity to have some of the conversations that they've been needing to have and want to have. And when we see that light bulb come on with an individual to have a better understanding and just to know if someone really sincerely cares about what they're going through and understands what it's like to have a side effect with a medication. How do I manage that? Or, you know, I'm just struggling to make ends meet and you want me to eat healthy. How am I supposed to do that? Right. You know, how do I do that for my family? And, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think I mentioned this earlier, fear of judgment um, that I'm doing something wrong because I'm overweight or my children are overweight, which means I'm not feeding them healthy. And, you know, that needs to be put aside and everybody has their own journey and their own challenges. And until we are able to give them the time to really invest in someone and find out what those are and meet them where they need to be met and small steps along the way. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we love to do. And, uh, and that's, what's going to drive the the best outcomes. Well, this is brilliant. Teresa MacArthur of Cecilia Health, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was great to have you and this was great information. No, oh, well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Appreciate everything you do as well. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.